Fellowship, how's everybody doing? You guys good? Awesome. Hey, stand up with me. We're going to jump right into song uh, this morning. We have so much to be grateful for, and uh, we want to lift it up in song with one voice this morning, okay? Good? Let's do it. Come let us bow at his feet. 
Thank you. You may be seated. I hope you weren't waiting for me to sing, because that's probably not going <laughs> to happen with a microphone. Good morning. My name is Beth Kenyon, and I want to welcome each of you here this morning. If this is your first time, we especially welcome you. If you've been with us for a little while, it's only been just a little while. We're all getting to know each other, so make sure that you say hi to somebody around you. Um, kids, welcome to Big Church. Our elementary students are with us this morning because we have, how many families? 75 families at family camp. That's amazing. I love that. Families at New Life Ranch, and so our elementary kids are coming with us this morning, and we are super glad, super glad to have you here. You add a lot to our service. Did you get one of these on your way in? We're going to celebrate communion later on in the service. And if you don't have one of these, just raise your hand and somebody will make sure that you get one. I keep thinking about the church and how important it is to gather with the people of God, both in great times and really sad, hard times. And this week has been a hard week. And we're going to start our time together this morning just remembering our brothers and sisters and friends in Uvalde, Texas. And we just want to take a, a time to just lift them up in prayer. Would you pray with me? Father God, there is so much about this crazy world that we really don't understand and our hearts break with the moms and dads and the sisters and the brothers, the aunts and uncles, the grandparents, the friends, the classmates of those who have died in Uvalde this week. Father, you ask us to mourn with those who are mourning, and we do that this morning. Holy Spirit, would you comfort those that are so desperately hurting in the way that only you comfort? And Father, it makes us remember this Memorial Day, the many who have gone before us, both men and women, who have sacrificed their lives so that we can have freedom so that we can be together worshiping this Sunday morning. Would you also be with the many families, the 75 more plus families at New Life Ranch today? Would you create wonderful memories with them there? And Jesus, as we become more aware of your presence this morning through song, through scripture, through communion, would you speak to us as only you can do in your precious name. Amen. My name is Joy Prem, and I'm on the elementary team here at Fellowship and get to lead worship for y'all every now and then. And just so glad to be with you guys today. Um, if you've been around Fellowship for any length of time or if you've done Discover recently, um, you've heard our mission statement and um, 
that we don't like to use the word volunteer around here because we're really all leaders in serving um, the body of Christ. And so let's read our mission statement together. It is to glorify God by producing and releasing spiritual leaders who know and express the authentic Christ to Northwest Arkansas in the world. And today we have a perfect example of that in our worship leader today, Matt Musgrave, who you all have seen before. He and his wife, Johanna, lead us in worship quite often. Um, they have been a part of fellowship for eight years, and um, they just got on board serving and got to the point where um, they get to lead us in worship, and it's such a blessing for us. So thanks, Matt, for leading us today. Um, and it takes 200 leaders to um, do all wait, the wait, things wait. that we do. I don't, oh. I'm not sure that anybody really Did got the that? that number. <laughs> 200. On a Sunday morning, it takes 200 leaders around this campus to do all the things that we do here. Um, and so we just are so thankful for all of you and the ways that you step up and lead this body and lead the people of Northwest Arkansas and the world. So thank you so much for all that you do. At our 845 service this morning, we got to celebrate the baptism of um, this amazing Preston. Look at that grin on his face. For those of you that are interested in finding out more about baptism, would you grab one of the leaders around you, grab one of us, and we would love to begin the conversation with you about what it means to express in baptism what the how God has changed your life. And it is just a really special time, and we wanted you to see that picture. Thank you again for being with us, and we are super glad that together we get to worship. Would you all stand? Yeah, would you guys stand with us? So grateful that we get to celebrate life change um, with Preston's baptism and, and what that represents in our life. And as we stand this morning, I wanted to focus on one specific part of that mission statement that we have, knowing and expressing the authentic Christ. And part of that is living lives of worship because in these miracles that we've listened to in John, one of the important parts is Jesus looks up to heaven and he gives thanks. And worship can be as simple as that, just giving thanks. And so as we sing, let it be a reminder, I love worshiping through song, but worship can be in our lives, in our homes, at work, at the park, with our friends. It can be so many things. So let's worship together and continue lives of worship now as we sing these songs. Oh, Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made, I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power
says, and so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. And so, I believe um, we were going to take offering, but I think offering was already done. Is that correct? We already passed it on? Well, we won't do it right now, but... Um, we give, and so during this next song, um, I wanna take a moment to reflect. And it's a new song, we've never done it before, but to take a moment to reflect, what does it mean to truly acknowledge him, to serve him more completely in our lives? And through offering we give, whether we give online or we give here, it's a moment to remember, what does it mean to sacrifice in a way that is truly worshiping him that he'll find acceptable? So I invite you to sit down um, as we sing this next song and think upon what does it look like to give yourself more fully to him in devotion? What might he be asking? What might he be prompting your heart this morning? So let's take a moment, reflect, we'll sing this, and then as you feel so led, please join in and sing with us.
fever into motion my soul
pay ultimate sacrifice so that we have freedom to stand before a holy God. Seems fitting on Memorial Day weekend, doesn't it? Lord God, we are grateful. We stand in your presence because you've invited us into your presence. That means we're guests, we're family, and Jesus, you even call us friends as your followers. And we acknowledge that you you are the one that we stand before because you are standing at attention to do all that is needed to accomplish your good plan in our lives. We're able to sit and rest in your presence because you are seated on a throne. You are in control of this world even when the world has circumstances that cause us to smile and others that cause us to weep. And so, Lord, we rejoice with the families at New Life Ranch uh, who are feeling full this morning as they're playing with their children. And we mourn with families who are missing their children in Uvalde this morning. And they feel empty. And we acknowledge that you are in every place, those extremes and in between. Lord, you're the one that tells us in your word that uh, the Apostle Paul said that he's learned to be content with much and he's learned to be content being empty. So it must mean that we need to be taught how to live in empty places and in full places. And so would you this morning teach us, your children, we're listening. In fact, right now, would you whisper a prayer that says, speak, Lord, I'm listening. Use your Holy Spirit and your word to grow your people. And we trust you for this. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Matt, worship team, for leading us this morning, and happy Memorial Day weekend. Obviously, the day is set aside for much deeper meanings than just the beginning of summer, but it is the beginning of summer as well, and that's a good thing as well. Kids, we're glad that you're in with us from the elementary ministry. This is a good thing for us, and so we're grateful. Hey, uh, just got a chance to, um, because of Discover in the first hour and the second hour, sit with Lisa in the back and walk through worship and the teaching here, same as we all get to do every week. And, and something Hunter House said at the end of his teaching on the third miracle in John caught my attention. He said, every time we open God's word, we'll see something about ourselves, we'll see something about God, and we have to deal with both of them. And on the very last slide in his teaching, he said this, what we see about us, well, humanity and ourselves, we have nothing to offer. What we see about God, he has everything to give, and that is this morning. In this fourth miracle in the book of John, it's the only miracle that's recorded in all four of the Gospels. So the Holy Spirit seemed fit to, to inspire all four Gospel writers to make sure that this miracle, the feeding of the 5,000, was in front of us. There must be something we need to learn. And I think uh, no matter how many times I've looked at this story, I'm, I'm still struck fresh every time how deep and rich this is. In fact, I think you could do several different sermons. We could do a sermon from the perspective of the hungry crowd. That'd be valid. You could do a sermon on the perspective of the disciples. We could do a sermon on the perspective of the young boy who gave his lunch, right? By the way, have you noticed we always assume he gave his lunch? We don't ever think that maybe Andrew took it, right? 
But we could do a perspective from him, this little boy who gave up what he had only to find he got far more back in return. But something strikes me about the way the Apostle John writes this miracle. He includes 11 details that the other gospel writers don't. And when you look at the 11 details that are unique to him, you start to see a new perspective of this miracle. And it's the perspective of Jesus himself. And we'll see a simple yet profound lesson. And so profound, I think it takes a lifetime, at least a lifetime, to begin to live out and to master it. The story begins in John chapter 6, verse 1. It says, sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias. And so you stop and say, sometime after this, after what? And the events before this trip across the Sea of Galilee were quite busy. Jesus, first of all, just finished the Sermon on the Mount, crowded, pressing in. You know there had to be much follow-up dialogue after that. He had debates with the religious leaders. That's always stressful and draining. Conflict will always wear you out. He then did miracles and teachings with massive crowds. Crowds wear you out. At least they wear me out. And then he followed that up by sending the disciples on their first ministry trip. Hey, the adrenaline and anticipation of that for them, thrilling. It must have needed must have been exhausting for them as well. Right after that, Jesus hears that his cousin John is executed by beheading. The grief and the trauma of that will wear you out. And that's followed up by even more heated conflict with the religious leaders. Jesus has lived a life that's been already a flurry of activity and expectation. It's been filled with people and pressure. It's been filled with loss and grief, and Jesus needs time away. His disciples need time away. So they schedule a community group retreat by the lake. It's exactly where you would go to get away, and we know that. Wanting to get away from people and regather themselves a bit. The text continues in John 6, 1 through 4, by saying, Sometime after this, this crazy season, Jesus crossed the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. Huge crowd follows. In fact, it's so large that later in verse 10, we're going to read that it's 5,000 men alone. Uh, I don't know. Do you want to take a stab at a guess of how many people in, in total uh, maybe up to 15,000 if you conclude uh, women and children. The point is this is a massive group of people who are there because they want to see a sign of healing. Why do people come to see a sign of healing? Because they're sick and need a healing or have a loved one who needs a healing. This is a massive crowd of people with needs, all crashing a retreat meant to get away. And yet the other three Gospels record that Jesus welcomes the crowds. The people in their needs, well, needy people are not an interruption to Jesus. That's good news for people like me and for you. And he spends the day teaching and healing. And we pick up in verse 5. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, 
He said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. So why ask Philip? Philip has to feel singled out here. By the way, he is a hometown boy from this area of the Sea of Galilee, but that's not why he asked Philip. There's a bigger reason. Jesus looks up and sees this massive crowd coming in with their needs. He knows that these are a people without resources, and they're now in a place without resources. This is a crowd with no food in an empty place. And I want you to notice that Jesus makes their problem, the crowd's problem, his problem. And if it's his problem, guess what? It's also his disciples' problem. So he has no problem saying, where shall we get the food to feed all of these people? And verse 6 makes it exactly clear why he's asking this question. The next line says, he said this because he was testing them. What is he testing? Is he testing their their problem-solving ability, their management skills, their organizational leadership? No. No, he's testing something more deep. He's testing their faith. He's testing where his men, his most faithful followers, will go when they're in an empty place and a problem they can't tackle on their own. Jesus gives them an impossible assignment. It's an impossible assignment, and it's one that they do not have what it takes. Now, again, the text tells us he has full intention. So remember the text says he knows, he has in mind what he's going to do. What he has in mind is not just to feed people. No, he wants to grow faith at the same time. Because both of those, as we looked at a couple of weeks ago, are the presenting need and the deeper need that we all have, which is to have a growing faith. How does Philip answer? Verse 7 tells us, Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wage to buy enough bread for each one to have just a bite. Last week after church, uh, Lisa said she was driving around and saw a new bumper sticker that made her laugh. And she said, Mark, you'll love this one. It, it plays off of uh, uh, phrases like keep Austin weird and keep Fayetteville funky. This bumper sticker said, keep Bentonville bougie. And she knew exactly why I would laugh. Because four years ago, when we made the move from East Rogers to, to Bentonville in preparation for this, our adult children who still live in Rogers and Lowell and Centerton, Centerton, they started calling mom and dad bougie. It's not because of our dress. I'm still the guy who thinks plaid is the only right color to wear. No, they kept calling us bougie because every time we would go out to eat, we would eat at one of those trendy foodie places. You know the definition of a foodie place, right? Where you pay far too much and you still leave hungry. Philip is telling Jesus this whole situation is bougie. If we had a Dave Ramsey six-months emergency fund with us, we would spend the whole thing and everybody gets a taste. Don't even try. Jesus, this isn't just hard, it's impossible. And you've been there. Again, I'll say, if even kids would feel this, we know what it's like to be led to an empty place 
where some point in life you don't have what it takes on your own. I hope you've been blessed enough to be led to those empty places. I feel sorry for people who are stuck in such fullness that they never get to encounter the bigness of Jesus in an empty place. Maybe for you it's an unexpected expense that really has caused you to say, we don't have it. Maybe it's a fearful health report where you say, we cannot do it. Maybe you're struggling to to love a child who's rebellious, and you're saying, I don't have it in me. These are the empty places. These and a thousand more are the empty places that become opportunities to look and see what Jesus can do. Because he knows, the text already says he knows what he has in mind to do. But notice what Philip asked. He asked, how? How? See, I noticed that Jesus' question to his disciples is, where shall we look? Philip's answer is, how can it be done? How is a natural question when you're led to an empty place? But folks, how is also a faithless question? How is God's department? How is his pay grade? Ours is to fix our eyes on the right, where shall we look? Where shall we go? This was challenging because Jesus includes the disciples in the problem with feeding the 5,000, maybe 15,000. In fact, in Luke chapter 9, verse 13, uh, Luke's version includes a little line. Jesus replied, you give them something to eat. It's a very clear command and completely impossible to pull off. You feed the crowd. The disciples, they've seen amazing things. They've seen water change to wine. Healings have been, happened, miraculous healings. But they still ask how. The next disciple, Andrew, speaks up. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves, two small fish. But how far will they go? Notice the question. How far will they go among so many? I notice that Andrew starts by looking to a who, but it's the wrong who. I mean, he found the only resources available. Let's assume the little boy volunteered his lunch. He finds the only resources available, but he quickly scans the crowd and the resources and says, can't be done, and he drops back to, once again, a how mentality. We were uh, in a staff meeting. By the way, I hope our adults know this, at least our adults with teenagers, that, that we teach the same things in our student ministry, junior high and senior high, that we teach in this room. So if you have a teenager, it's a great opportunity to say, hey, here's what I learned this morning walking through this passage. How about you, knowing that they had the same experience? Well, because of that, our our student ministry and our adult staff sometimes do some beginning planning together on how we'll teach God's Word. And Alexis Foster, one of our student ministry residents, was in that meeting looking at this text, and she said this, She said, I noticed the disciples had three potential solutions to the problem. In Matthew and Mark and Luke, their first solution is to get rid of the problem. 
they say to Jesus, send the people away. But then he goes, and she said, in, in, in John, Philip said, let's try to find enough money. And then Andrew, well, he looked to other people. And Lex's observation is this. Huh. We look to the same three solutions every time we try to find, uh, face a problem as well. How right she is. You know what? I have looked at this passage probably more than 100 times over the last 40 years of, of, of seeking to follow Jesus. I have never seen what Alexis pointed out, ever, until she said it. Which tells me God's word is best studied in community, huh? Which tells me community group, pretty good idea. Pretty good idea for God's people to gather together around his word. But in this empty place, with his impossible assignment, Jesus is still focused on what and who. Remember, what is the what? Well, he does want to feed people. He has compassion on the people. But he also wants to grow his disciples' faith at the same time. And he wants to do it in a way that focuses our eyes on the right who, that draws us to looking to God rather than any other situation or solution we would scramble to. Jesus wants to show what only God can do in an empty place. And I have a deep conviction in life, and it's so deep that it's taking me a lifetime to live it out. You know some things in your life are deep convictions when you can never master them. They just keep you in the hunt and pursuing. Like, by the way, your wedding vows, you've never checked them off that you've done it perfectly. It keeps you in the hunt of doing Well, this deep conviction for me sounds something like this. People are most happy when God gets much glory from their life. People are most happy in their daily lives when God gets more glory from their life. And empty places, if God leads you to one, and he will, well, it's an opportunity for God to come through in a way that only he gets the glory. And if he gets the glory, even in that empty place, you will become more joy-filled because people are most happy when God gets more glory from our lives. And you know where I've seen that most lately? I've seen that in our Fellowship Bentonville staff who serve us every week. I mean, six months before we opened our launch here on April the 3rd, I watched the most dedicated women and men scramble with what felt like an impossible task. The to-do list just kept, you know, you have those punch lists on opening, it just kept getting bigger, not shorter. On top of that, we asked the staff to, to recruit and train 500 spiritual leaders who would help us launch this campus, 500 men and women like you to join in. Many of our staff were brand new to this congregation. Didn't know five people, much less 500. Many of them were new to each other as a team or new to their role. And it pushed them to this empty place where they just felt like an impossible assignment. And you know what I watched our team do? Grow more dependent. Prayer became to be the first thing they talked about out of their mouths as they still went after their work, but with a prayerful dependency. And even though the assignment was hard, I watched a joy factor increase. I like to say I get to go to work every day with the most happy, 
compassionate people in the city. How does that happen when we ask them to start day one with an impossible assignment? They became more dependent on God to come through. He became more glorified in their life and work, and they became more joy-filled as a result. See, happiness does not come from having what it takes to get through the hard stuff in life. No, happiness comes when we're most dependent upon Jesus, and when we're most dependent upon him, he gets more glory, and our joy factor goes up. We get caught up in a bigger story than just problem management. George Mueller was a, a 19th century British evangelist who became burdened by the orphan crisis in Great Britain about the time of the Industrial Revolution, because the Industrial Revolution in Great Britain, well, it exploded, but mostly on the backs of the most vulnerable and weakest members of their society. So the orphan uh, tragedy was, was rampant in the streets. He would collect up streets of children on the streets and bring them into his orphanage, having no idea how he was going to feed and clothe them. Many times he got to the places where they would file in for breakfast and, and he had no bread or milk to put in front of them. And so as they were washing up and getting ready for breakfast, he would drop to his knees and say, you've assigned me to these, but these are yours. You've got to come through and feed them. And one time he writes, a milkman's truck broke down right in front of the orphanage. He couldn't get it repaired in time for the milk to not spoil, so he brought it in, the kids waiting with an empty bowl. He wrote this about faith and God's glory. George Mueller said, faith does not operate in the realm of the possible. There is no glory for God in that which is humanly possible. Faith begins where man's power ends. By the way, that's why faith is the pathway to our salvation. We cannot save ourselves. Faith begins there, saying, I need a Savior, and watching him come through. But you see the link in Mueller's own words between faith and God's glory, that in themselves, in this situation, the disciples didn't have what it takes, and so it required faith to look to Jesus and expect him to work, and that's how faith glorifies God in everyday life. Look at the next verse, verse 10. And Jesus said, have the people sit down. By the way, that's what you call raising customer expectation, okay? They're going to sit down for a meal. There's still only five loaves and two fish. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Let's guess 15,000 people. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. What I notice is that truly God provides everything for this meal. He even chose to provide a picnic blanket. Verse 10 says, plenty of green grass. They didn't just get a meal, they enjoyed it and their time. Verse 11, it says they ate as much as they wanted, meaning there was total satisfaction, which I find stunning because the conversation I last read was the disciples telling Jesus, this is an empty place, it's impossible, we don't have enough. And now I hear the people telling the disciples as they walk around with the baskets, I am in a full place, I cannot eat another bite, enough 
take your food away. There's a total contrast. And only one thing happened between. Jesus picks up the bread, breaks it, and gives it. In his hand, empty places. Well, they become full places if Jesus is in the middle of the equation. I want you to notice how Jesus chose to distribute the food because this was not like a this is not like people lined up at a food truck off the square coming to the cook. No. Luke 19 verse 16 tells us this is actually how the 15,000 people's bellies were filled. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and he broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. Now remember who was commanded to feed the crowd? Disciples, right? Now who feeds the crowd? Disciples. Jesus is not only growing their faith, he's he's equipping them to do the very thing he already called them to do. Folks, think about it. We understand and believe that Jesus could have fed this crowd any way he wanted, right? Kids, he could have pulled off a Harry Potter type type Miracle. Just say a word and bam, the groups all have food in front of them. But he chose instead to to perform the world's slowest miracle, okay? Now, I don't know the last time you served all of Bud Walton hot dogs, but, you know, when you had to walk all of those stairs to the back, to the front, and didn't give out the food individually, it took you a while, didn't it? It's okay for us to imagine it took hours to feed this number of people, and back and forth those disciples go with 12 baskets of food. Each time they come back, and he's still breaking bread and breaking fish, and it never runs out, and he fills their bag or basket, and they put it in, back and forth, back and forth. And I wonder if it was trip number 13 that finally caused them to go, I think I can trust him. He's enough. He is enough to come through in an impossible situation. Jesus is more than enough. That's not just a little cliche that our household uses. We grew fond of saying Jesus is enough and then trying to put our eyes on him as we walked forward in life. I think it's the offer of Jesus to every one of us. He wants us not to look within and see if we have what it takes. He doesn't want us to look around and see if we can find someone who has what it takes. He wants us to look to him and believe that he is enough in every empty situation. And that requires a a God-glorifying faith. The story continues in verse 12. When they had all had enough to eat, Jesus said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. By the way, I love that vision of stewardship. (laughs) We don't ever want to waste anything that God has created for his good and his glory, right? And then he continues, so they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with pieces of the five barley loaves left over 
by those who had eaten. Do you think that number of leftovers is a coincidence? Twelve disciples, twelve baskets of leftovers. I think the Lord is doing something for his followers and growing their faith. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they said, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus is not just enough. In the last portion of the miracle, you see that he's more than enough. Supply outweighs demand. There are no supply chain problems here. I guess the only problem is it's too much. Where are we going to warehouse the leftovers? And it's incredible considering the, the empty place they started in. And so can you believe the same Jesus who loved those disciples loves these disciples? And when he leads you to an empty place, he has more than enough. More than enough power, more than enough love to forgive someone that you don't want to forgive, more than enough, enough spiritual resources to embrace the call that he's given on your life, more than enough even energy to do what it is he's given you to do, whatever assignment he's given you, he is more than enough. Our family has seen Jesus come through in the common and the uncommon. The common daily ways of just routines and rhythms of life that seem quite boring. Jesus is still enough for those. But also in the uncommon ways where he's provided enough through multiple cancer diagnoses and health crises, through personal tragedy, through loss and through death, through professional failure, through the daily stresses of working through each of those. He's been enough. And each time, all he's doing is saying, come back to me and watch my hands. I'll keep breaking the bread and giving what you need each time. You know, as I was thinking this week, I had this subtle little simpleton thought. We say that God is sovereign over all of the affairs of men and women. When we say that God is sovereign and in control, that means we follow and believe and trust in a God who has never had a conversation that sounds like this. You know, on one hand, I could do this. But on the other hand, maybe I should do God has no other hand. He only has a perfectly sovereign and good will. And he will accomplish because he knows what he intends to do, even in the places that we describe as empty places. So the only question now is, will we believe that he is enough? And how simple of a message is that? And that how much will it take all of our years on earth and our discipleship to Jesus to live it out. It's going to require a, a humble and, and bold faith because believing that he's enough doesn't come naturally to us. No, instead, we have to first believe that we are not enough. And maybe you're less stubborn than I am, but I tend to hold on to a delusion that says I am self-sufficient and in control of this situation. No, I've got to believe I'm not enough. But then secondly, it requires that we believe that Jesus is actually more than enough. That he has everything that he's called us to. And then third, a humble faith and a bold faith believes that Jesus will always provide for what he guides us to do. 
He'll equip us for every impossible assignment he's called you to, and maybe so it is for you. A child whose needs are far larger than your capacity. Jesus hasn't forgotten that. He sees that empty place, calls you to that, and says, trust me, and keep coming back to my hands to get what you need. And maybe for you, it's the empty place of a job chaos that just feels unmanageable. The Lord knows you're in that empty place. Keep coming back to him. It's the health crisis, maybe, the financial crisis, just even the overall sense of despair of the world around you. And Jesus knows those empty places are there. And if we trust him in those empty places, guess what? Empty places become really good places because it's the place that we encounter Jesus. In fact, I'm struck by the fact that, that we even get our communion word right out of this passage. In verse 11, it says that Jesus, he took the loaves and he gave thanks. That's a Greek word where we get our word Eucharist, describing even the communion elements themselves. In verse 4, I don't think it's a coincidence that Jesus chose to perform this miracle during the time of the Jewish Passover feast because the Passover for the Jews, well, that was the celebration of Jesus or Yahweh becoming the more than enough solution for a very empty and long season of their life. The Passover lamb, he was God's more than enough solution for deliverance and provision for them. And Jesus says, behold, I am the lamb of God. I take away the sins of the world. He is our Passover lamb. Yes, when we celebrate communion, we are celebrating the God who is more than enough. And he came through in, in an impossible situation where sin and death did nothing but reign over us. And he provided a remarkable how, the Son of God, Jesus, who died on a cross, rose from the dead, to become a more than enough provision. You know, the only next time that... Uh, Jesus, or the, uh, the Gospels tell us that Jesus took the bread, broke it, gave thanks, and gave it. The next time it comes up was at the Last Supper. Hmm. Maybe even this miracle is pointing to a greater miracle we would need, that God would give himself to meet our emptiest places of sin and death. As you got communion elements as you came in, can I ask you to begin opening those now? Jesus said, every time you come together and you eat and drink, I want you to eat and drink in remembrance of me. You know what he's telling us to do? Every time we come and eat and drink, remember that he's more than enough for our sin or for the death that comes because of that. And so at that last supper, he actually started with the bread. And the text tells us that he took the bread, he broke it, and he gave thanks, and he passed it out, and he said, take and eat. This is my body given for you.
And then secondly, he picked up the cup, known as the cup of blessing at the Passover meal. And he raised that cup, and he said, this is the cup of my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Drink it. And remember, look to me. Then the text tells us that those disciples at the upper room sang and worshiped. That seems appropriate after looking to him, doesn't it? Would you stand? And in honor and gratitude of our Savior who is more than enough in every empty place, we simply say to God, thank you, and I'll keep looking to you. Even when we're overwhelmed, we can just cry out to him and he will fill us and we can sing this in faith together today.
for just a couple minutes. Have you gotten used to, at the end of the service, we do an invitation and a blessing. The invitation is to tell you some ways that you can connect, and then we'll read a blessing together this morning. Um, after first service and second service next week, we will have a newcomers gathering in the FSM or student building. If you are new, we would love to meet you and get some names and faces together and tell you how to connect to our body. If you know of somebody that's new, feel free to invite them too. It's kind of funny to think that we are all new to each other in this church. As of April 3rd, everybody in this whole congregation is new to Fellowship Bentonville. And because of that, we have planned six women's gatherings. Sorry, guys, can't come to this. Um, that will be here on campus. The first two will be in the courtyard so that we have a chance to gather as women to connect, to meet some new people, and then we're going to have a time for some deeper conversations. We would love for you to come. We would love for you to invite somebody that you know that might like to come with you. We're really excited about these times um and you can use the qr code to know some more of the details if you need to would you stand with me and we're going to read this scripture together let's read now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we could ask or think, according to the power at work within us. To him be the glory in church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. If you would like someone to pray with you, to pray over you, to pray for somebody that you know, Connie and Dick Nervig will be here up in front of the baptismal after the service. On your way out, will you please greet somebody, introduce yourself, and walk out together and find a little bit more about them. Thank you for being here. You're dismissed.